Amen. Let's give him a clap off in church. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are worthy of it all. We praise you. We magnify you. We exalt you. You are on the throne of this universe. You rule and reign, sovereign Lord. And we praise you. We magnify you. We exalt you. And Lord, your, your voice thunders across the universe in creation. And it thunders through your word. So Lord, open our hearts this morning as we listen to your word. As we listen to thunder from heaven. Lord, let your voice speak powerfully through your word this morning. We love you and praise you. In the mighty, magnificent, beautiful, glorious name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. If you're able, you can have a seat. <laughs> praise the Lord. Great to see everyone this morning. Everybody ready for Christmas? It's coming. Two weeks. Two weeks from today. Two weeks from today. So uh, this morning is my final uh, expository teaching from the book of Matthew before we take a break. The next two Sundays, I will do a Christmas message, okay? So we have Christmas message coming next Sunday and the Sunday after. But today, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Matthew. And let me tell you something, man. This is a powerful, powerful portion of Scripture that we are going to study in depth and so, um, it's an amazing passage. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're studying verses 28 through 34. I'm also going to be looking at some other passages of Scripture that go along with this text. But let's take a look at Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to read the first couple of verses so we get our minds oriented in the direction that the Scripture is taking us this morning. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 says, when he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And they said to him, excuse me, and he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished into the waters. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. As we study it this morning, teach us this morning, Lord. Teach us this morning this valuable truth that you came to set the captives free including those who are demon-possessed. You love them, you died for them, and you came to bring them freedom. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is, He Came to Set the Captive Free. You know, we live in a world that is visible and invisible, natural and supernatural. Many people are unaware of the invisible supernatural world. It's where angels and demons operate. It's where spiritual warfare takes place. Angels are messengers of God sent out to minister to believers and execute his will around the uh, planet Earth. Demons are evil, vile, wicked messengers of Satan that war against the people of God. And they fight to keep people from getting saved and being delivered from sin. A demon's goal, a demon's ultimate goal 
in this existence of his is to keep people in darkness. And that is exactly what we see happening here in our text this morning. Two men bound in chains of darkness and Jesus sets them free. Now, when you study passages like this, when it comes to demonic possession, a lot of times it produces a lot of questions in your mind. So as I was studying the text this morning, I wanna, I'm going to teach it verse by verse, but I'm also going to answer three very important questions that you may have about demons. And those questions are, one, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Number two, what are the signs of demon possession? And number three, what do I do if I know if I know someone who is demon possessed, what do I do, pastor? Do I, do I call the priest? Do I get the holy water? Do I get the crucifix? You know, is that how you do it? And the answer to that is no, you don't. We do what the Bible says, and I'm going to talk about that at the end. Now, the first, the, the first question is a question that everybody asks, okay? Can a Christian be demon possessed? That doesn't pertain to the text. Really, questions number two and three will dig into the text, but everybody always asks this question. This is a popular question, so I want to answer the question. Can a, de- can a Christian be demon-possessed? And the short answer is no. God will not share his place in your heart with demons. It's just that cut, that simple, okay? You won't find that in Scripture where people are, the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of them and, and demonic spirits. They, 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 they don't go together. They're, they're like oil and water, they, they, they have opposite, and one is powerful, and one has no power, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says this, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So you've been sealed You've been filled with the Holy Spirit when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he has sealed you, okay? You belong to him on the inside. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were, there's that word again, you were sealed for the day of redemption. Scripture is crystal clear. If you've been born again, God has sealed you and filled you with his Holy Spirit. What, what am I fixing to say? But, <laughs> but Christians can be oppressed. Christians can be influenced. Christians can be harassed. We're going to see in Ephesians chapter 6 where he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's a wrestling. There's a fight. There's a spiritual warfare that takes place in the heavenlies where you and I war. You know, we fight. We battle. We do spiritual warfare, but your soul, your heart on the inside, friends, if you've repented of your sin, put your trust in Jesus Christ, received him as your Lord and Savior, he owns the inside, and he ain't giving it up to nobody, not to no puny, evil, wicked, demonic spirit. So let's, just, let's get that question answered once and for all, that, that you, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Spiritual warfare, yes. Oppressed, yes. Influence, harassed, uh, cause us to do stupid things, yeah. You know, the, the, the devil, go, you know, they throw darts. They throw darts at our minds, and, and, and they attack us. But you can't be demon-possessed. So let's get into the text. And getting into the text of uh, Matthew chapter 8, my qu- question number two is this. What are the signs 
what are, what are the signs of someone being demon-possessed? You know, a common mistake that, that people in the Christian community make is they either, one, they blame everything on Satan, which I don't think that's biblical, and, 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 and option two is they become overly obsessed. They become overly obsessed with the demonic. You know, many cases, sinful activities in our life come from our sinful nature, okay? But there are times that in this world where people's activities and the way they live and the way they act could be a sign of demonic possession. So let's, let's look at those. So Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 28, looking at the Gadarenes and answering the question, what are the signs of demon possession? Verse 28 says this, the first half of verse 28, when he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon possessed met him and they were coming, and that's, that's the key word, the last three words, what? They were coming out of the tombs. So these two demoniacs, they're coming out of the tombs, okay? This brings me to my first principle of demon possession, is this, the person is demon possessed, there is an obsession with death. There's an obsession with death. There's an obsession with darkness. There's an obsession with graves. There's an obsession with the place of the dead, you know, or they're consumed with movies and artwork that is filled with death. In darkness, uh, they like to be alone in the dark. There's little or no human interaction. They love the dark world. That's a sign of demonic possession. They're into omens, sorceries, mediums, witchcraft. And friends and family, the Bible is very clear. It condemns all forms of omens, sorceries, mediums, and witchcraft. This includes materials on Wiccan, sorcery, black magic, superstition. You know, some of you may say, Pastor David, I need a Bible verse on that. I need a Bible verse on that. I'll give you 77. There's 77 verses from the New and Old Testament that, that, that condemn mediums, omens, sorcery, and witchcraft. The Bible is crystal clear. It warns us to stay away. It has no sorcery, omens, mediums, witchcraft, talking with the dead, all that weird, crazy stuff. There's a real dynamic to it, but that real dynamic is evil. And that real dynamic is, is the gateway to demon possession and, and being, being possessed. If you have any of these materials in your home, do what the Bible says. Burn it. Burn it. Acts, Bible verse, Acts chapter 19, verse 19 says, And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to, to came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So they brought all their materials and they burned them and they destroyed them. Don't give them away. Don't take them to the thrift store. Burn them and get rid of them. And it's interesting that Luke in the book of Acts in that verse, he says, it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Why would Luke tell us the value of their materials? Why would, he, why would he include that in the book of Acts? And I believe the reason he includes that is to show that there is no value compared to your soul. 
okay? If there's any kind of evil or witchcraft, I don't care what kind of relic it is or what kind of book or what kind of material or how expensive it is or how vintage it is or, or whatever you paid for it, get rid of it. It has no place in the life of the believer. And if you think otherwise, you're deceived. We need to get rid of that stuff. We need to get rid of all that stuff that would infiltrate and take over our minds and open it up to demonic possession. But the first sign of demon possession is there's this obsession with death, omens, sorcery, mediums, witchcraft, graves, and it's a very dark place. Let's continue. The second half of verse 28, which I broke it down, 28b, it says that the, these Gadarenes, look at what it says. They were so extremely violent that no one would pass by that way. That brings me to my second principle of being demon-possessed. The person that is demon-possessed is very, very violent. Is very, very violent. They have um, uncontrolled fits of rage. They are a danger to be around. They could hurt you. They, they get so angry that they hurt themselves and they hurt people around them. Now, I also want to take note here that think about the ministry of Jesus. He crosses the Sea of Galilee in his omniscience. He knew that those two Gadarenes were there. We need to keep in mind that Jesus went to them, okay? And that tells me that Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them, he cares for them, and he wants to set them free. He came to set the captive free. But, but, they, but some people, they, they get so angry that they hurt themselves and, and the people around them. You know, the world, the world tries to medicate these people today. They try to restrict these people. They try to incarcerate these people. But in, in these actions, they may stop the violence, but it doesn't change the heart. It doesn't change the heart. And what they need is a heart change. They, and what they don't need is religion. They need a true encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ where they get radically saved and their eyes are open to the glorious, beautiful gospel. That's what they need. And it breaks down that violence and they, became, they become a person of peace. They, they become a, someone that's friendly, someone that you can be around, someone that you like to be friends with. You know, that's, that's the amazing power of the gospel. He destroys that anger. He destroys that violence. And he gives you a calm, settled, peaceful spirit. Let's continue. Verse 29. Verse 29. It says, And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment, torment us before the time? The demons, they know exactly who Jesus is. Okay? The demon spirits in the spirit realm... They hate Jesus. They know that Jesus will one day cast them into hell. James chapter 2, verse 19, he says this, You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. It says the demons shudder. Okay? That's very important. You think about James saying that the demons shudder, and Matthew telling us here in verse 29, they're freaked out saying, what business do you have to do with us? That brings me to my third sign of demon possession. And that is this, the person gets 
agitated when you speak the name of Jesus. Just at the spoken name of Jesus, the person gets irritated. They get mad. They get agitated. They don't want to hear it. In most cases, when you read scripture in today's world, if you read scripture to someone, you play worship music, and you talk about Jesus, most cases, it calms people down. It brings people, even the world, it brings them peace of mind, like, when they turn their mind to the Lord, not a demon-possessed person. They get upset, and they get agitated, and they get very turbulent when you start talking about Jesus. They, you will start talking about Jesus, and they will say things like, stop, shut up. I don't want to hear it. They just get so angry. And what we need to understand is that is the spirit inside them that, that's speaking that doesn't want to hear the name of Jesus. So that's the, the third sign of demon possession. They get agitated. Now, the, this account of the Gadarenes is recorded in three of the Gospels. And I want to insert right here what the Gospel of Mark says concerning this situation. In Mark chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, Mark tells us, and, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to sub subdue him. And this brings me to my fourth characteristic, or my fourth sign of being demon-possessed. It is this. It alters who the very person is. If you knew them before, they are completely different now. How are they different, Pastor David? Number one, they will have some kind of superhuman strength that's unnatural. They were able to break these chains. Pain and injury does not affect them. Pain, they're, they're able to endure pain and injury, and it, do, it doesn't bother them. And, and this, this strength does not come from adrenal. It doesn't come from medication. It comes from the demonic spirits within them. That's what's taking place here as they're breaking through. The demonic spirits can also speak through the person. If you go over to Luke's gospel and his account of this, in Luke chapter 8, verse 30, it says this, And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. That word legion uh, it means uh, 6,000. There could have been up to 6,000 demons in this dude. He said, for, for many demons have entered him. But the demonic spirits, the evil spirits, can speak through the person that, that they are possessing. So it completely alters the person, okay? This ain't somebody struggling with sin or somebody walking in rebellion. They're probably just following their flesh and, and, and they're in rebellion against God. This is, this is demonic possession is more than just a struggle with sin. It's a complete takeover of someone. It's a complete takeover. The demons have completely altered who the person is, and it causes them to do irrational things, okay? I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I think you'll know, okay? I was say, I don't think it's questionable whether someone's demon possession or not. You will know just by the way the, the manifestations of the evil spirit in them that what has taken place. But the fourth sign is it completely alters them, everything about them, their strength, their voice, their attitude, and, and who they are.
So, so you can see these, look for these signs according to what we see in Scripture. Let's continue. So here it is. The reason Jesus came to this earth, John says in his epistle, was to destroy the works of the evil one, to, to decimate and destroy Satan. And he did um, destroy the works of Satan by the power of the cross. And that's absolutely true. But I think what we need to understand is even before the cross, it didn't take the cross. All it took was one word from the mouth of God. All it took was God speaking the word and setting the captive free. So with that in mind, look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. And the demon began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. Some skeptics of the Bible have said, wait a minute. The Jews, they didn't, they didn't raise pigs. What's going on? Why, why are there swine? If you look at the geographical location of the Gadarenes, it is actually on the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, and that would have been in the region of the Gentiles. So this was a Gentile uh, area of land where they would have had pigs. But it says, the demons begin to treat him, saying, if you're going to cast us out, send us into this herd of swine. And look at what Jesus says to them. Go and get the priest. Go get the crucifix. Go get the holy water. Is that what he says? No. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says, go. And those demons left. He says, and they said to him, go. And they came out and they went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and perished into the waters. Why did he send them into a herd of swine? I don't know. But he sent them into a herd of swine. And the bottom line is the value of their soul, the value of these men's soul was at stake. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to set these two Gentile Gadarenes free. And all it took, I want, to, I want you to notice that in verse 32, all it took was one word from Jesus' lips, go. That is the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He can speak and the demons flee because they shudder. They know what awaits them. Many times demons have better theology than some Christians I know, okay? They know, they shudder. They know one day a judgment awaits them. But he set these men free. And I remind you, he set them free because he loved them. He loved them. Jesus loves and cares for the people that are bound in this world by evil spirits. He came to set the captives free. He came to liberate us. He came to liberate those who were in the bondage of Satan. And Jesus offers the same deliverance today for those who are bound in Satan's chains. So that brings me to my third question. The third question is, what is, what do I do, what do you do if we encounter someone who is demon-possessed? Not struggling with sin, not, not wrestling, but this is obvious, like the Lord has shown you, man, this is demonic. This is evil, 
and, and we need to help this person. What do you do if you encounter a person? Again, don't get the crucifix, don't get the holy water, and please don't call the priest because those things will do no good. So I'm going to give you four. I'm going to give you four ways to deal or to, how to deal with a person who is uh, demon-possessed. Number one, you need to prepare for battle. You need to prepare for a battle. And what I mean by that is, spiritually speaking, biblically speaking, is you need to make sure that you have the full armor of God on. You need to be completely equipped with the full armor. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through 18. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The NASB says for our struggle. If you have the King James, I like it better. It says, for we wrestle. In other words, there's a fight. There's a tussle. We're not just standing back and doing nothing when we're participating in spiritual warfare. But there's a wrestle. There's a fight because there is a real heavenly battle taking place in the heavenlies. In verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. How do we gird our loins with truth? We stand on the word of God. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Be completely grounded in your life and in your doctrine and in your theology in the word of God. Know what the scripture says. Have, then, um, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does a breastplate do? A breastplate protects a warrior's most vital organ, his heart. How do we guard our heart? The breastplate of righteousness. That word righteousness simply means having a right standing with God. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ is living and reigning in your heart. Having, then he says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of, of the gospel, of peace. The, have, know the gospel, okay? Know the gospel. Know what it requires for salvation. Salvation is described in three ways in the New Testament. Re repentance, trust, and receive. Repent, believe, receive. We turn from our sins, we put our trust in Christ, and we receive him as our Lord and Savior. Know the gospel. Be ready to preach the gospel. In addition to all, all taking up the shield of faith, which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Again, our faith is in God. Our faith is in the word of God. And that is our shield. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. The, the Bible says the word of God is the sword of the spirit. The helmet of salvation. You know, we need to pray to have the mind of Christ. Pray that God protects our mind as we, as we do spiritual warfare, as we engage in spiritual warfare for those who are possessed. And then it says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. If you have a prayer language, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Seek God's face. It's not our power. It's not nothing in us that can defeat the demon. But it's the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Most High, working in and through us that he is able to defeat and bring down those strongholds. So we prepare for battle. Don't take it lightly. Be praying, be fasting, be seeking the Lord. Call your, call your, your, uh, 
your, your friends who pray with you and ask them to, to pray with you and stand with you. Secondly, speak the name. Speak the name. If you find yourself in a one-on-one encounter with someone that is demon-possessed, you speak the powerful name of Jesus to the evil spirit, just like the Apostle Paul did in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, listen to, what, listen to what took place. And it happened that as they were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said, said to, annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, he spoke to the evil spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember I said, speak the name, in the powerful name of Jesus, you come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. You say to that demonic spirit, you have no place in his or her life. You remind that demonic spirit that, that of the powerful and glorious and beautiful name of Jesus that stripped them of all their power. Again, it's, it's Christ, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit, it's, the, it's God that is setting the person free and he's just using us as a tool of deliverance, a tool to bring the gospel, a tool to speak the name, a tool to pray, a tool to stand in faith, a tool to do what every Christian soldier should do. So after you've prepared for battle, if you're in, you're in a one-on-one encounter, you speak the, the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus. Thirdly, you pray. You pray to the Lord Most High, Yahweh, Lord God Almighty, that the Lord crushed the grip of Satan and that he set the captive free and that he break the chains that hold them in darkness and he open their spiritual eyes. Now sometimes, because I'm going to show it to you in scripture, sometimes prayer will do the work, okay? But sometimes it will take prayer and fasting. If you turn over to Mark chapter 9, I do not have a slide for that. So you'll need to turn in your Bibles. If you turn over to Mark chapter 9, I want to read to you about an encounter with Jesus and his disciples. Mark chapter 9, verse 20 through 29. And remember, I was, I was talking about how we pray? Well, sometimes it takes more than prayer. And I'm going to show that to you in the scriptures. Mark chapter 9, verse, picking it up at verse 20. It says, they brought the boy to him when he saw him. Immediately, the spirit threw him into convulsion and falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Remember what I said a while ago? Demonic possession is serious. Okay, this is, this is obvious. This, 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 this poor fellow, he is foaming at the mouth. He's rolling around. He's in convulsions. He's acting unnatural. This is demonic possession. Verse 21, 
And he, Jesus asked his father, um, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. In other words, this demonic spirit was wanting to take the young man's life. And that's one of the things of demonic possession today is the demon spirit will try to convince the person or tell the person that the only answer is death, is suicide. That is right there. He was telling him to kill himself. But if you can, verse 22, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Man, I just love that statement. This is a father that is desperate. This is a father that is desperate for his child. If you saw your child struggling, would you not move heaven and earth for them? Would you not do whatever it takes to help your child? That's what this father is going through. This father's like, I need help. God, please, Jesus, please help my son. Look at verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. You know, there's times in the Christian life, I think it's good and it's right and it's biblical. Lord, give me more faith. Increase my faith. Help me in those areas of my life that I don't understand how you work and who you are. Help me to understand. We, I, I, chances are nobody here, including myself, has it completely 100% figured out. But I think it's very appropriate to say, Lord Jesus, please increase my faith. Help me to believe. Help me to overcome. Man, unbelief, it just comes in like a flood, and we have to fight against it. Um, verse 24, immediately the boy's father cried out and said, oh, I'm sorry, I read that one. I do believe, help my unbelief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. You know, it's very important that after a person has been set free from a demon, that they get the full gospel. And I'm going to talk about that. That's actually my next point. But it's very important that they become born again, spirit-filled, walking with God, renouncing the past, and completely sealing the deal of salvation so that their heart and their life is not opened up to these things. He says, do not enter him again. Verse 26, after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that that most of them said he is dead. The demon spirit in this young boy had so taken over his life that the demonic spirit was everything. There was nothing left of the boy, okay? That's that's, That's how consumed That's how many possible legions of demons were in him. But when God set him free, it was like, he he, says, he is is dead, but he was just exhausted. He was just drained because the demonic host had sucked everything out of him. But look at verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand 
and raised him, and he got up. Man, just envision that for a minute. This young boy set free, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he just reaches down and picks up his hand and says, Stand up, child. I've set you free. Go, walk in freedom, live in liberty, serve me, trust me. I can't imagine what, this, what was in this child's mind as he'd been set free. Verse 28, and when he came into the house, his here, here we go. When I was talking about earlier prayer and fasting, uh, and when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. And he says, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this cannot come out but by anything but prayer. And this, and then the other gospel that has this account says prayer and fasting. So there are times where we encounter demonic possession where it's not just a one and done, but it's, it's, it's intercessory. It's, it's, it's interceding for the person, it's praying for the person, and it's fasting and seeking the Lord's face for that spiritual breakthrough. So it's, it's prayer and fasting. It can take prayer and fasting for some people to set free, be set free. Finally, the fourth, the fourth um, principle, if you encounter someone, number one, prepare for battle. Number two, speak the name. Number three, prayer. And I'd also add fasting. But fourthly, is clearly and boldly present the biblical gospel to the person that you're ministering to, okay? This is so important, okay, that, that you're dealing with someone who's possessed is that they clearly understand the gospel and that they understand the biblical gospel. It's not just say a little prayer and ask Jesus into your heart, but this is a repent, turn from your sins. We explain to them, one, that you, that you repent, that you turn from your sin, that you turn from the old way of life, that you confess it to God as sin and you turn away from it. Number two, you tell them to call upon the name of Jesus. They need to call upon the name of Jesus, not to say a prayer and repeat after you, which I'm not against praying with someone, a sinner's prayer, but they need to call upon the Lord. They need to make the prayer their prayer to God, okay? They need to call upon the name of Christ. Then they need to trust in Christ. They need, you need to explain to them, turn from your sin, call upon the name of the Lord, and trust in Christ with all your heart. And finally, equally important, when you're dealing with someone who's demon-possessed, is you need to disciple that person. You need to disciple that person, and in the process of discipleship, you need to tell that person that they need to renounce and destroy anything demonic in their life that Satan or the demons could use as a gateway into their life. They need to do what they did in Acts chapter 19, verse 19. Destroy the things that were bringing about the demonic possession. That, this, this, is what I would, this is what Pastor David would call deliverance. You've heard of deliverance ministries. Deliverance, is, deliverance ministry is when there's serious bondage and you want to walk a person through the steps of deliverance, and that is prepare for battle, put on the armor, speak the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, pray fast, disciple, 
and clearly and boldly present the gospel to them so that their hearts can be filled with the Spirit. Explain to them, now that you've given your heart to Christ, be completely yielded to him. Pray to him on a daily basis. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I yield my life to you today. Be filled with the Spirit. Be overflowing. That is what brings deliverance. That's what brings discipleship. That's what sets people free through Christ. Now, this passage, if you, if you read this passage, you're like, yes, the Lord Jesus Christ, he set these men free. But this passage has both a great and a tragic ending. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read to you from Luke's account. You, you would think that um, this young man, this, this Gadarene that was demon-possessed, he's been set free. You would think that the city would throw a party. You would think that the people would rejoice, but they don't. So we're going to look at both the great and the tragic ending of this account of Jesus and the Gadarenes in the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, close to the city of Decapolis. Luke chapter 8, verse 34. We'll pick it up there. It says, When the herdsmen saw that what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. Do you see the two points there? A man, a, a, someone that's been demon-possessed and are set free, and they understand that liberty. What is he doing? He's sitting at whose feet? He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, when we understand the gospel, when we understand how Christ has forgiven us of our sin, and specifically for a person that's demon-possessed, that's been set free, when they experience that liberty and that joy of being set free from demonic hosts, all, they can want, all they'll want to do is I want to live at the feet of Jesus. I want, to, I want to live, sit down at the feet of Jesus, learn from the master, grow in their relationship with him. You know, the Pharisees didn't set him free. The scribes didn't set him free. The people of the Gadarenes didn't set him free. Or Decapolis, it was Jesus so he's sitting down at the feet of Jesus. And notice also it says there in verse 35, it says he was clothed and in his right mind. He was clothed in his right mind. You know, being in Christ, we have a right mind. When, we, when you experience salvation, you're, you're in your right mind. When you know God, you're in your right mind, okay? And he gives us peace in our minds you know, one of the reasons why there's so much mental stress in today's world is because people don't know God. They don't, and they don't know him intimately. But as you get to know God and you get to know his word and his spirit works in your life, he will give you a right mind, a mind that sleeps in peace at night, a, a mind that is caring and loving towards people. And that's what had happened. This, this man had been set free He's at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed in his right mind. That is the beautiful ending of this beautiful part of the story. But let's continue, verse 36. Those who, 
who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And, the, and so you think there's going to be rejoicing. There's going to be a party. Look at verse 37. And all the people of the country of the Gadarenes and the surrounding districts asked him to leave. They asked Jesus to leave, for they were gripped with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. So the people there, they were more concerned with their economics. They were more concerned with swine than the soul of a human being set free and coming to know Christ. They were very worldly. They, they, were, they were Gentiles. They were, they were pagans. But God loves them. And we're going to see in the text, Jesus doesn't just cut them off and say, okay, well, we're out of here. They, they want us to leave. Fine, we'll leave. God has a plan, even for those people. Look at Verse 38. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. He was like, Jesus, please, you set me free. I want to go with you. And that is a good response. That is our heart's response to salvation. That is our heart's response to deliverance. It's Jesus, wherever you go, I want to go. Wherever you're going to be at, I want to be there. But Christ, he sees the big picture. He sees the big picture. And look at what he says to him in verse 39. He's saying, all those people that are wanting me to leave, I, I got a mission for you, gentlemen. I got a mission for you, young man, that's just been set free. And he gives him that mission in verse 39. A little great commission here on the southeast corner there in the Gadarenes. He, said, he commissions this guy. He says in verse 39, Return to your house and describe what th great things God has done for you. And so he responds in humble obedience. And he says, So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This speaks of the grace and the providence of, and the sovereignty of our God. That despite their, those people rejecting him, Christ didn't reject them. He sent a disciple. He sent a fresh disciple. He sent a young man that was on fire for the Lord. One who had just experienced deliverance. One who was previously not in his right mind, but now he's in his right mind. That is the beautiful message of the gospel. That Christ came to set the captive free. He came to set the captive free, and he offers that same deliverance to us today. And the thing is, if you know someone, you know, um, prepare for battle. Speak the name. Pray. Fast. Clearly and boldly present the biblical gospel. And, and, I, and, I, and I don't see this just as a cookie cutter, okay, step one, step two, step two, step three, step four. This could be discipleship. This could be relationship. This could be 
forming a friendship and a relationship where you disciple them and you teach them the biblical gospel. You teach them how to pray. You teach them how to fast. You speak to them and teach them about the powerful and wonderful name of Christ. But again, we need to understand that there is a spiritual battle in this world and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Christ came to set the captive free. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for this study on the Gadarenes. Lord, I pray, God, that you equip us, Lord, to minister to those in our world the truth of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to get, Lord, even give us a heart of compassion. Give us a heart of love for those who are broken and those who are even demon-possessed. And Lord, help us bring the powerful, wonderful, victorious name of Jesus into their life, the one who can set them free. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. And God, ask that you protect us, guard our hearts, guard our minds, and help us all to understand this morning that there is a spiritual battle and you've called us to fight it in the mighty, victorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In your awesome and holy name I pray, amen.